0: This is Andy Wakefield and this is the Andy Wakefield podcast. This is a place where stories are told that have never been heard before.
1: Hi, this is Lori Gregory. Welcome back to the Andy Wakefield podcast. It is a pleasure to be here today with of course Andy Wakefield. Andy, here. We're on we're on number 32, Andy. This is exciting. We're past halfway to 50, so I guess uh, we haven't been kicked off yet, Knockwood. Um, happy to be able to provide this podcast for our members, of course, uh, and for folks uh, who want to be introduced to the podcast, they can listen on SoundCloud and then find out information about how to be a member. Go to 1986theact.com. There are details there, and we'll give you more information at the end of the show. And we have with us, of course, the esteemed Jim Moody Esquire from the blue team city of Washington, D.C. Are you a city? Or are you a province? What do we call D.C., Jim? I'm not even uh, sure. it's, it's just especially set up in the Constitution as a federal district, although they're desperate now to make it a state in order to get two more blue team senators. But it's it's not a state. It's not a territory. It's a district. Is it a city or it's truly just a district? That's just it. A, just a district. Very interesting. It sounds like a podcast in and of itself. Thank you both for being back. We are finishing our discussion about COVID mania. This is part two. And where we where we left off, we last spoke, we were talking about a study, a Moderna study that had come out. Uh, since then, we have had a... Oxford study come out, which I believe is in the Lancet. Correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen. Andy, you are our expert in all things medical. So what do you know about this and what do we need to know?
0: Let me just talk about the design of the vaccine. I haven't read the study yet, um, but I can at least talk about the design of this vaccine and why we should be rather cautious about it. What it is, is in in effect a, a Frankenstein viral vaccine which involves the use of an adenovirus construct what does that mean it means that what you do is take a backbone for the virus that is another virus an adenovirus these are common viruses that infect humans and animals adenoviruses are widespread and what you do is you in the laboratory you remove a gene or genes of the adenovirus that allow the virus to reproduce to replicate and what you therefore produce is it's called a defectively replicating version of the vaccine and we had a little we 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 worked on these actually with orton down many years ago when looking at measles not for uh, vaccine studies or treatment studies but in order to produce specific antibodies, in this case against measles virus. So there you have this backbone of an adenovirus that can infect cells, but it can't multiply, apparently. And into that, you incorporate, in this case, the case of this vaccine, you incorporate the gene that encodes for the spike protein of the COVID-19-causing virus. And you put it next to what's called a promoter sequence in many cases. And the promoter sequence is a gene which promotes the gene next to it, switches it on and causes it to ultimately generate protein. And it's the protein of the coronavirus in this adenovirus construct that then stimulates or is meant to stimulate an immune response. So that's really the essence of this. This is a very, very new and iffy approach to vaccination. It's rather like, you know, in the laboratory, you can you know you can do these things and therefore they should work. So let's just start with this idea of a defectively replicating or non-replicating adenovirus. The problem with that is that it's potentially misleading because if you then if you're someone who's had that virus the adenovirus that's defectively replicating and you get infected with another adenovirus a natural adenovirus there's potentially the ability of that natural adenovirus to recover the ability of the construct the artificial construct to replicate it provides that adenovirus with what it needs to replicate either presumably through um, transfer of genes or of providing enzymes that are lacking in the effective vaccine virus that then allows it to replicate so no one knows whether if people are vaccinated with this vaccine and then they encounter as we all do, a natural adenovirus infection, whether it then allows that vaccine construct to start replicating, that is a real risk. Um, And the problem with these things is once they're in, they're in, you can't get rid of them. Once they're injected into someone and they get into the cells and they sit there, then there's no way that we can therapeutically get rid of them, you're stuck with it. And so if they do cause this problem, then we've, we've got a real issue. Now, the you'll remember with this, um, when this vaccine was used in rhesus macaque monkeys, as a sort of prelude to the study that's just been reported, um, it produced antibodies. We talked about this yesterday, it produced neutralizing antibodies and it produced a T cell response, a cellular immune response. But while it diminished the level of symptoms due to COVID-19 in these animals who had the vaccine, compared to those who did not have the vaccine, the control group, what happened was they it didn't get rid of the virus. So they still had virus in their nasal secretions. Now, one of the aims of vaccinating healthy people because this virus is not going to cause problems for the vast majority of people who are exposed to it in the community that is covid-19 one of the aims is to give people this immune passport to let them get back to to, to work you know you've you've been vaccinated so you're okay but if you have a vaccine that doesn't do that in other words you may be protected to an extent that the virus can still replicate and you can still spread it even if you've been vaccinated and that's what the rhesus macaque study showed then that raison d'etre is gone it doesn't have any value because those people who've been vaccinated can still carry and spread the virus and give it potentially to people who are not immune so it seems to undermine at least so far one of the major reasons for this push for mass vaccination and of course the other thing that we're concerned about which will only emerge in time is what happens to these people who have been vaccinated What receive uh, when they are exposed to the natural or wild type of coronavirus infection, because are they then going to get this immune enhancement syndrome, where they overreact, they have a cytokine storm, they develop terrible problems as a consequence of the of the being exposed to the vaccine and then to the natural virus, and so. There are many, many unanswered questions that still make this um, very concerning. So, uh, whatever this study shows, it's not going to have addressed those specific issues so far. So, and of course, it's not—it's certainly ethically challenging, uh, or even unethical, to give people, even monkeys in laboratories. Well, they can justify giving them re-exposing them to the coronavirus but can you expose re-expose humans knowingly to the coronavirus after they've been vaccinated with the real risk that they may have this severe adverse reaction there's a there's a challenge i'm sure there are many vaccinologists who wouldn't think twice about it but um it's a real concern
1: well i've i've read um the summary and you know i have a background of having worked in biotech and pharma, I did investor relations for several years on Wall Street and so I, I have I have a a somewhat of a background of reading these things um, and I've also learned so much from you Andy in doing these podcasts uh, even in the part one of the podcast we're doing right now. So I have a couple of questions if you don't mind these are very general questions. I'm sure Jim will have some much more, many more sophisticated questions, but um, just based on the summary and just at the first sort of cursory glance here, there are 32 authors on this paper. Is that unusual?
0: That's a lot. It tends to suggest that it's a multi-center study. So, you know, you have a number of different academic hospitals involved in running the study. That's what that tends to suggest. That is a way of recruiting a lot of people to a study very quickly by spreading the workload across uh, a large number of of, uh, of hospitals.
1: Sure, and and that seemed like a lot to me. Now it says after all the names of these thirty-two various scientists and doctors, it then says on behalf of the Oxford COVID vaccine trial group. So I'm not sure if that means they're all in one group, um, but that that was my 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 initial thought was. Gosh, it seems like a lot of names on this paper, but of course the world is, you know, hanging on a thread here, trying to rush to a vaccine so that we can all follow Bill Gates' advice. Uh, so it certainly, you know, makes sense they would have a lot of eyes on this. You've been listening to the Andy Wakefield Podcast. To continue the conversation, go to 1986theact.com slash membership, where for $5 a month, you can subscribe and access the Andy Wakefield Podcast in its entirety and much more.